Hi, my name is Mark LeBlanc, and I serve as the chairman of Indie Books International, based out of Southern California. Welcome to this week's episode of Marketing with a Book. Not marketing a book or marketing your book, it's marketing uh, with a book. And every week we have a special guest, and I could not be more excited and delighted to interview uh, today's guest, Stephen Westner. Um, but before that, I just also want to make sure that you are aware that we have our annual Indie Books Friends and Family Forum coming up in early uh, March in Southern California, La Jolla, California. You can go to our website at uh, www.indiebooksintl. Dot com. Devin, if you'd be so kind to put that in the chat uh, box, I'd appreciate it. And um, uh, if you are a person with expertise, if you are a thought leader, if you are uh, a key opinion leader in your uh, sliver of the marketplace, you would do well to consider joining us for our friends uh, and family forum where uh, authors help authors and speakers uh, help uh, other speakers. Um, at Indie Books, we are incredibly passionate and convicted about the power of writing the right book. Mm. It's not uncommon for people to say, you know, uh, you're pretty sharp, you're pretty smart, you should write a book. Well, a lot of people have written not so good books. Um, worse, there are a lot of people that have written good books with the wrong title, the wrong subtitle, the, a poorly structured uh, table of contents. And then what is a good book does not create that gateway to more of the good work that you feel called and compelled to do. And so our philosophy is, Yes, we want you to move books, but more importantly than that, we want to make sure that you use your book as a marketing tool and that speaking, uh, whether in front of a large group, medium-sized group, or small group, is arguably um, your best marketing strategy. Our guest today, Stephen Westner, on the topic and expertise of how to sell with authority, how to plant your flag of authority, claim your ground and monetize your position. For over 25 years, Stephen Westner has been in the trenches working alongside and consulting with agency owners, business coaches and strategic consultants, teaching them how to plant their flag of authority within the markets they serve, grow their audience, fill their sales pipeline with right fit uh, prospects and ultimately drive revenue in predictable and repeatable ways. Let me repeat that because um, uh, there's, not, there's not many people who can make that claim. Drive revenue in predictable and repeatable ways. Stephen founded Predictive ROI in 2009 and remains its CEO and owner. He's the host of two podcasts with listeners in over 100 
in 40 countries with over a thousand episodes to his credit. His marketing insights have been featured in major media and he's the best-selling author of four books, including his latest entitled, Sell with Authority. Stephen, uh, welcome to our episode of Marketing with a Book. Uh, th thanks very much, Mark, and thanks for the invitation. It's a delight and pleasure to join you. Uh, it's good to see you. Um, it's good to see and, you too. And even better to have you um, give us a little window into your world um, uh, and your business. And I'd love for you, um, I'm not sure what you might call it. We call it a defining story. Give us a, a little bit of your, uh, a window into your world, maybe professionally, maybe even a, with a little personal twist. Who are you and how did you get from where you were to where you are today? Hmm. Well, uh, I'll, I'll go way back even further than, than what you're asking, and then I'll fast forward. Um, so uh, my grandfather uh, immigrated here from Istanbul, Turkey. So my family comes from uh, Greece and Turkey. Um, and, and when he was eight years old, uh, he dropped out of the third grade because my great-grandfather was literally murdered on the streets of Istanbul during a time when it was not awesome to be a Greek male or an Armenian male or, or anything like that uh, in, uh, in Turkey because of the Ottoman Empire and the ethnic cleansing that were going on or was going on. And my, my great-grandfather fell victim to that. And so I'm a firm believer that on that day that my great-grandfather uh, died, that my grandfather at the ripe old age of eight, his DNA changed instantly and he became an entrepreneur. And so he dropped out of the third grade. Why? To take care of his mother and his two younger siblings. And he did it with a smile on his face. He had a third grade education. And that sparked a dream to come to the United States, which he eventually did when he was 18. And he came here with $10 in his pocket. And six years later, he owned his own restaurant in downtown Canton, Ohio. Now, it wasn't the best time, you know, to start a restaurant because it was 1927, two years before the Great Depression. And, and throughout the Great Depression, he gave away more soup than he ever sold. And he did it because he felt like his business plan was, if you take care of your customers, they will take care of you. And they did mm -hmm. in spades. And so he ended up having three successful restaurants over the course of 42 years. And in his 10 grandkids, and I have the honor of saying that I'm one of them, we've all gone on to be business owners in various capacities and lengths of time and industries and all of that. But I, I absolutely believe to my core that entrepreneurship is in my DNA from that, re, from that rewiring in 1910. Um, so Predictive is my fifth business. Uh, you mentioned four books. I, I need to update my bio. It's actually five now. Um, and so I truly do love this stuff and I do believe it's in my blood. So predictive ROI, like you said, um, we believe that agency owners, business coaches, strategic consultants, that's our tribe here at Predictive. We believe that most of them go about business development and sales in the wrong way. And not only the wrong way, but the least effective, most painful way possible. And we believe there's a better way. And we call it the sell with authority methodology, which is what we explain and teach in full transparency uh, in, in everything. It's in our book, in our weekly Q&As, all of our research. We teach all of that in full transparency. Why? Because eventually, when the need is right, when we've proven that we can be helpful around the right business issue and challenge, our right fit prospect will raise their hand and say, 
hey, can you help me with that? And that's what seller's authority is all about. It's about being helpful. Every time your prospect turns around, there you are with a great answer. It's helpful. And you've never, ever, ever made your prospect feel like they were a prospect because that feels yucky. Uh, but when they're ready, they know that you are their person who could be helpful because you've proven that over mm -hmm. and over and over again. So that's a little bit about us. You know, that's interesting. Um, I heard a phrase uh, last week for the first time. I'd never heard this phrase <laughs> before, but the, yeah. but the moment that your great uh, grandfather died and you talked about that moment for your grandfather at the mm -hmm. age of eight, um, that that is a crucible moment. It, yes. a mo it's a moment where everything changes. Everything. And um, when I thought back, when I heard that phrase and thought back to my career, I'm, I'm going to certainly have not had uh, uh, what your grandfather had and what your family experienced. Uh, but I thought about the crucible moment that, that I have had mm. at 21 um, when um, I was inspired by the two words, you're fired. And I, I made a vow that I would do whatever it would take to make it on my own. And this year I'm celebrating my 40th year of being my own boss. But getting fired was not necessarily the crucible moment, although one could argue that it was. It was the kicker when he said to me, um, I don't think you have the work ethic to make it <laughs> on your own. I, I and, think there's a word for that, Mark. I think it's called irony. <laughs> <laughs> and so I thought that was a crucible moment, not the firing, that you don't have the work ethic to make it uh, on your own. Um, Stephen, uh, well, my heart goes out to you and your family uh, for what you've been through. What, a, what an amazing story. Um, there are a lot of smart consultants. There are a lot of smart business coaches. There are a lot of people who are, I guess, self proclaimed experts. Mm. Um, they branded themselves an, ex an expert when maybe their expertise uh, was wafer thin. Are, are there some, are there certain essentials to what it means to redefine or re, um, reshape your identity as an authority? Yeah, yeah. first of all, First and foremost, I should say, it's not up to us. It's, it's, not, it's not up to you or your listeners or your viewers to call themselves expert or authority. Mm -hmm. What their job is, is to serve and to teach and to do that generously and with depth, not shallow. So like when you said, standing on stage and speaking because you have something that's helpful, something meaningful, something that the audience in attendance will be changed. Maybe you can deliver their crucible moment, right? That's our job as, as a thought leader, as an authority, as an expert. But it's not our job to say, I'm an authority. I'm a thought leader. I'm an expert. Mm -hmm. Your audience is the one who grants you that. 
and gives you the permission and whether or not what you're teaching is helpful so that every time someone in your audience turns around, there you are with something that's instructive, that helps them get over a business issue or challenge, then they say, they give you the permission and say, wow, I learned something really helpful from Christopher today. I'm going to pay attention to what else he's got because I can learn something from what he just shared. Awesome. You know, it strikes me, and I, I think um, you know that I served as president of the National Speakers Association in 2007, 2008, and there was a time um, before I be, uh, was inducted as president, there was a rebranding effort to rebrand the association as not necessarily a group of 3,500 professional speakers, but to rebrand the group as a group of 3,500 experts who speak professionally. And there were a few of us that uh, um, really sort of came down on the opposite side of wanting to see that change. Because one, there's a lot of people who don't think of themselves as an expert. Um, but just because you have a degree doesn't make you an expert. Just because you have a certification doesn't necessarily mean you're an expert. And when you look at the, at the, I guess the, 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 the textbook definition of expert, it's a role that is conferred upon you. Uh, a forensic accountant would be considered an expert uh, in forensic accounting. Maybe not necessarily as a CPA, but a, just because you're a CPA doesn't mean you're an expert in numbers and finance. And so I think that's fascinating that, that uh, it's important for our audiences. Um, uh, I've always said, I am not an expert. I have deep expertise in business development um, and there's a lot of people who self-brand themselves as an expert when the depth of their work uh, and certainly the depth of their, their heart or compassion uh, or their commitment to service is often uh, wafer thin. Um, Stephen, in your book, you and your co-author wrote about what you call the 10 truths of what makes someone an authority. Could you highlight two or three of those truths? Sure, and, and literally truth number one is totally aligned with where you're going with the forensic accounting and in your own expertise. It's that they have a focused area of subject matter expertise. First and foremost, they know their stuff, mm -hmm. right? So. Do you know your stuff? If yes, check. Truth number one. Number two is, do they teach it? So when we think of somebody who is a thought leader or the ability to sell with authority, it means, yes, they have a depth of expertise, check. And also, number two, do they teach it? And do they teach it generously without any expectation in return? Right? So for us, that's really important that the person who's on stage, who's writing, who's recording a podcast episode, who's doing research, whatever their, what we like to call cornerstone content is, 
Is it generous? Does it give all of the answers? Is everything there full transparency? The big, the small golden nuggets, is it all there? If yes, check another box in the 10 truths. Mm. And also, <laughs> are they boring to some? Like, like, you know, for the right people, they're very interesting, right? Because they're teaching something about that subject matter expertise and their audience is drawn to that because they know that they can be helped by that particular person. But other people outside the niche might want to shove a fork in their eye because they're boring to them because they're not talking about anything that is relevant to them. And that's okay, right? So mm -hmm. think, think specialist, not generalist. So, so our sell with authority methodology is, is absolutely foundationally built upon, we're going to choose a niche, we're going to be committed to the niche, like for us, agencies, coaches, and consultants, we're not also talking to aerospace engineers, right, we're going to be focused on that niche, all of our content is about that niche, we are specialists in that niche, and we're super boring to dentists, hmm because we have nothing to offer dentists, right? So those are just a few of the truths, getting really clear about the niche, getting really clear about your point of view, and then teaching and sharing in a very generous and transparent way. That's how you attract an audience, a very loyal audience. And, and you, keep, you keep underscoring or harping <laughs> On, on serving with a generous heart yeah. um, without, and I, I, I may not, I, I didn't write this down, but with, I, I think you said without expectation. How does that show up? What, you know, what are some ways that someone could latch on to that and say, well, I can do that? Let's say that uh, hopefully I'm going to pronounce uh, Parissa's name correctly. Parissa, did I? Pronounce that correctly? It's Parisa. I appreciate you asking. Okay. Um, so let's say that that she was teaching a workshop someplace. You, you and Henry and team have a workshop coming up in March. Let's say that she was hosting a workshop and, and she invited her audience to come and they've been listening to podcasts, what, whatever sort of cornerstone content that, that her and her team produce, right? In, in building audience. She decides to have an event. And then Devin attends the event and Devin walks in the room, having not met the host of the workshop yet in person. And, and when the two of them meet, Devin says, wow, you are exactly the person who I thought you would be. That's how it shows up. Hmm. It shows up in genuine, honest, transparent relationships like that. When somebody's been listening to you in their ears for the last two years because they listen to your podcast every morning when they're walking the dog, and then they have an opportunity to meet you, and there's congruency between what they learned from you for the last two years, you're super helpful and generous, and then finally enough trust was built that they decided to get on a plane or drive a few hours or whatever and come to your thing, and they walk in the room and they're like, oh my goodness, you are exactly the person who I thought and hoped mm. you would be. That's how it shows up. Oh, that's neat. Um, 
a few minutes ago, I'm going to rewind for a moment. You used a phrase that I had not heard before, hmm. uh, but I recalled it uh, from your book, Sell with Authority, um, where you talk about cornerstone content. How do you define cornerstone content? Cornerstone content, a uh, cu couple things uh, go into that definition. First, cornerstone content are the big meaty pieces of content that you are creating that, that embody your teaching around a particular subject. And it's consistent, you know, you, so your audience expects it on a consistent cadence. So let's think podcast for just a second, just because we're sort of in that medium right now, right? Podcast. So like this episode would be a piece of cornerstone content. Why? It's big, it's meaty. 30 minutes, 40 minutes, whatever the time period is, but it's big and meaty. There's lots of stuff going to be contained in this episode. And it's consistent. You have a consistent cadence for releasing and airing these episodes. Yay for that. And because it's meaty, you can also slice and dice it into a bunch of smaller pieces, right? So you can take that big macro piece and cut it into a bunch of smaller micro pieces. Like some of this might turn into a checklist. Some of this might turn into an ebook, or you could take this episode plus two or three other episodes that might be similar theme, put those together, turn that into an ebook. You could create a bunch of video clips, right? So cornerstone content is big and meaty. It pounds a stake in the dirt that this is the land that we want to claim and own. And it's helpful and big enough that you can slice and dice it into a bunch of smaller pieces. And it's consistent so your audience knows when to expect the next one. Wow. Stephen, um, let, me, let me ask you a couple questions about your business and I wanna go back to your story. Um, can you give us an example of, um, I'll just say a marketing strategy when you look back in your rearview mirror, uh, a marketing strategy that you tried that ended up working better than you thought it would? Hmm. Uh, well, if a complete surprise fits into that category, sure. <laughs> uh, so when, when we decided to, to launch Onward Nation, uh, our former podcast, so we retired after about a thousand or so episodes so that we could launch our current podcast, which is called Settled Authority, uh, same name as the book, obviously. But in, in you were uh, gracious enough to be a guest of mine on Onward Nation uh, years ago. So, so first of all, thank you for that. Um, but when we, when we decided to launch Onward Nation, which was in May of 2015, uh, my business partner and I had just come back from an on-site with one of our clients. The on-site did not go well. In fact, they fired us. Um, and, and they were one of our largest clients. So then we had this dilemma. Holy bananas. Uh, we, have, uh, we are overstaffed and not enough revenue to go around. So what are we going to do? And, and so I sat down one Sunday afternoon, May 15th, 2015 to be exact. And, and I pounded out this strategy and emailed it off to the team. And I said, we're going to launch a daily show. We're going to call it Onward Nation. I'm going to interview the best business minds that I can find. That's going to be our new business development strategy. Closed my laptop, felt pretty good about it. And clearly, that's not much of a strategy. It's really more of a hope and prayer. Um, and, and so 
what ended up happening was we launched the show 30 days later. And then a couple of months later, um, a, one of the guests said, hey, your show's awesome. Can you help us do that? And we were like, yes, we can. That sounds great. Uh, and then it was like, holy bananas, how much do we charge for this? Anyway, then we launched that now new clients show. And then I had a conversation with him maybe a month or so later after the show had launched. And he said, um, my show's great, meaning his show. Your show's awesome. Why in the world are you not doing this for more people? And I said, who? Who? Who could we do this for? Because we were still desperate for revenue at that time. And he said, for Pete's sake, you've interviewed almost 250 people now, you know, because it was daily show then. He goes, why don't you reach out to your guests that are interested in being on podcasts and ask them if they'd like to host their own show? I'm like, wow. Okay. So I did. And in November of 2015, I sent out 23 emails. I scheduled 16 appointments. Six people said yes. And we and we we sold a quarter million dollars in podcast production related revenue in those few phone calls. And I'm like, holy bananas, we're onto something. And then we ended up perfecting that. And that became what we now call today the Trojan horse of sales strategy. Hmm. And to date, it's generated about $4 million in revenue for predictive. And what's really important about that strategy and happy to break all that down, like, because it is an intricate, a lot of people try it and then they end up sounding schmutzy when they try it because they're like, oh, um, Christopher, would you be my guest? And then before you hang up the Zoom on the interview, you're trying to sell Christopher. That feels super gross. Hmm. So there is absolutely a way to do the Trojan horse of sales strategy in such a way that it doesn't feel gross for the guest and you don't build a bad name for the show, but yet it still provides biz dev for the company. <clears throat> so behind the curtain, do you think this would have happened without your back against the wall? That's a great question. Um, probably not. Because I think, I think what, what's the expression like desperation is the seed of all innovation or something like that? Mm. Um, so I, I think that we were absolutely desperate. Uh, we absolutely needed something to like pivot the business or whatever word you want to use. So yeah, I, I, I think if, I think if we were fat, dumb and happy and things were just kind of cruising along, no, probably not. Thank you for that. Um, I've got a, I've got a question about money because one of the challenges that a lot of uh, authorities in the emerging, let's call them emerging authorities. Um, okay. How do you encourage people or recommend or suggest that people set their fees or create a fee schedule or develop a, what I would call a fee philosophy? Um, I, I'm sure you run into the uh, same or similar challenges where people are undercharging and over delivering, mm -hmm. and a recommendation is to raise your fees. Um, how how would you handle that, or how do you go about? Where do you find that sweet spot? Okay, um, so two two ways. 
Uh, and, and this is something that that we're asked to consult on quite a bit. Although, although I will say that your audience might not like our my answer, uh, but I promise you this works. Okay, so first step is you want to find a price point that makes you uncomfortable. And when you mention your price, your fee to the person on the other end, they literally do this. Oh, oh. Um, okay, tell me a little bit more about that. Until you get that visceral reaction, your pricing's not right. If they if if somebody on the other end says, All right, you left money on the table. If somebody says, no way, you're obviously too high. You want somebody to be able to go, oh, like you've created discomfort with the price, but they also know that there's enough value proposition that they lean into that and say, but tell me more. Hmm. And if you haven't created that yet, your pricing is wrong. Okay, so let's, let's rewind a little bit. Um, so that's the uncomfortable part. So how do we get to that uncomfortable part? First is you do a beta. You go to your clients or prospective clients and say, I'm putting, a, I'm putting together a beta group and we're gonna do this, this, and this. And when I say this, this, and this, I don't mean deliverables. I mean this, this, and this, these are the outcomes of the beta. These are the result outcomes. Typically what happens when, when people are, over delivering, there's not clarity on the deliverables or the outcomes at the onset. So then they start trying to do more to make the client happy. It's because they're trying to deliver deliverables and not focusing on result outcomes at the onset, right? Hmm. Clients buy outcomes. Yes, deliverables need to be a part of it, but clients buy result outcomes. So it's, I'm putting together a beta. We're going to do this, this, and this outcomes, not deliverables. We're going to do this, this, and this. And we're going to charge $3,000 for 90 days or whatever the price is, $5,000 for 90 days, $10,000 for 90 days, whatever. It's a beta. And then have conversations with people, get them into the beta, crush the beta. Now you've got social proof and you raise the price. When we originally two years ago started our, what we call still today, our 90 day sprint, which is sort of in the middle of our value ladder here, predictive. Hmm. We decided to charge for the beta group $3,000 for 90 days. Now, what we advise today is sell three or four of them. I went a little nuts and we sold 15. Not, not like in one day, but over sure. several months. Okay, so $3,000. Then we raised the price to 7,500, sold some more. Then we raised the price to $10,000, sold some more. Then we raised the price to $15,000, sold some more. Now we've got it to $20,000. So my point is, is that put it out into the wild, talk outcomes and create a price that if it's based on outcomes where your client is gonna go, oh, but tell me a little bit more about that because the outcomes are so clear and valuable. Hmm. That's where people screw up value proposition because they think it's about stuff. Well, I need to do seven of these, six of those, four of these things. And then we're going to do seven or eight of these things over the next three weeks. They care about result outcomes, how their business will be better today or tomorrow because they hired you today. 
outcomes. I, and I heard, I heard something else in that answer, and that is, if you have an idea, try it. Um, because if you, don't, if you don't take it to the marketplace, so you use the term beta, um, if, you, if you sit back sort of having this debate within yourself or your partner or your team, um, just try it. You kicked it out there at 3,000 and, and then you incrementally uh, kicked it up either after your confidence grew or you gained some insight or some ideas. Uh, <clears throat> Stephen, I've got one more question. Um, uh, I guess I have two. But before I ask you the closing question, I think you um, have an act of generosity for our listeners and viewers today. Can you tell us about that? Uh, so I, I think it's giving away a copy of our book. Uh, yeah. Um, okay. Because uh, we, we, sorry, I didn't mean to sound confused in the own act of generosity. Uh, it's it's giving away a copy of our book. So in 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 honest, when when I say that. Um, 100% free, no shipping, no hoops to jump through, honestly, nothing. So if your audience wants to go to predictiveroi.com slash free hyphen book, um, they're, they're welcome to order a copy, even if they're international, we, we've, we've shipped hundreds of copies, um, I think internationally, uh, but we've shipped tons of copies, you know, all, all over the place. So if you like a free copy, uh, plus also too, if if you if you want to go to predictiveroi.com slash resources, that's probably the better link, actually. Predictiveroi.com slash resources, because uh the book is there, plus we've got ah, gosh, I don't know, nine or ten free guides, mm -hmm. you know, again, PDFs, instructional guides in full transparency, of course, and you can order any of them and they're all free. Neat. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. Now for the final question. Okay, I'm, I'm bracing myself, Mark. Okay. There was a, there was a day in your rear view mirror, um, and in your bio it says for over 25 years, so I don't know if it was 25 years ago or if it was maybe you were in a business, a different business prior to that, but there was a day called your first day in business. And you were ready to light up the world. You might have been scared. Uh, you might have been overconfident. You, who, who knows where you were at on day one. Hmm. But, but knowing what you know today, if you could go back and give you a piece of advice on day one, what would that piece of advice be for you? Well, uh... Probably if you ask that question to, you know, uh, lots of owners, you'll get the response first off of like, holy bananas, how do I, how do I choose the one? Um, and, and so I, I, I'll, I'll rewind all the way back to my, my first business was a company called fortifiednutrition.com. And uh, that was back when owning a .com was like super cool and awesome. Uh, so let's, let's say circa 1999. Um, and I was literally in San Francisco uh, when the NASDAQ crashed and the dot-com bubble burst and I was out looking for funding. I went from trying to sell 20% uh, of my business for $7 million to venture capitalists and private equity. 
So 7 million bucks would buy you 20% of Fortified Nutrition. Um, and during that week, the value proposition changed a whole bunch to, you know, for 300 grand, you can have as much of the company as you want. <laughs> uh, so awesome change in valuation uh, almost overnight and really painful. So like if I, if I could rewind that experience and give myself advice today, I would have said, you know what, when Steve Olson, who was a member of our board of directors, when he gave you the advice of what would happen to the business if you just waited for six months? I said, what are you talking about? And he said, this seems like a good idea. I said, okay. And it seems like Fortified has a pretty good value proposition. I said, okay. It seems like your path to IPO which we had built out and we we're working with Ernst and Young and all of that. It seems like that makes sense. I said, okay. It seems like the acquisitions that you have mapped out and your milestones in that journey that everybody's asked you for, seems like that makes sense. I said, okay. He said, but what if you were to wait six months? What would happen? And I said, that's insane. Why on earth would we want to do that? We'll miss the market. Well, this, well, that. And I came up with all sorts of um, really narrow-minded, less educated sort of like arguments as to why it had to be now. Okay, well, the reality is, had I waited six months, the dot-com bubble would have burst. I wouldn't have been involved in it. At 28 years old, I wouldn't have lost $100,000 in cash, my own money. I wouldn't have lost $3.5 million in stock value. I wouldn't have nearly lost my house and my cars. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't have put a whole lot of stress on my marriage. And thankfully, I'm still married to my lovely bride of now almost 30 years. But that was a lot for a 28-year-old who had no business running a pre-IPO company because I had zero experience in doing it. So had I listened to that piece of sage advice, I still literally remember where I was sitting at the table, where the phone was positioned when Steve said that to me. Hmm. And at the time I rejected it. Now, in just a few short months later, then it seemed like, holy bananas, he really knew what he was talking about. And I wish I would have listened. Sure. That's powerful, Stephen. And I want to thank you because I have a new phrase. I never heard holy bananas before. Uh, <laughs> um, I, I just have this sense that there might be other words that go with instead of bananas. Uh, but I, I like the phrase holy bananas. So, so thank you for that. Um, Stephen, so nice to have you with us today. And uh, to our listeners and viewers who will be listening to this, uh, it's Stephen Westner, the author of his latest book, Sell with Authority, and he's offered it for free. If you look in the chat box, you will see his website, and his website is also uh, www.predictiveroi.com. And I like to somehow say, even though you could get it for free, there's absolutely nothing wrong with doing what I did. I just placed the order. Um, I think that's part of authors 
uh, helping authors. Stephen, thank you so much. And for all of you, that is a wrap.